1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host,
0: Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. All right, everyone, we're back here with the Tactical Yanks podcast. And as I say every week, Pete, Eventually, we're going to have two episodes a week, but for now, we're going to keep it on Tuesdays. How are you doing, Pete? I'm
1: doing good, man. Uh, Scheduled my surgery, by the way, for my ACL replacement. So September Mm -hmm. 15th, uh, just some personal news, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be a long road to recovery, but at least you're going to have the World Cup during that period of time. So that that will help you for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. But besides that, which... I guess for, at our age and everything, our, our knees are not going to ever recover the way they are. We do have a lot of topics to talk about today, different topics. One of them we're going to dive into, Brendan Vasquez and the USMNT9 situation. The other one we're going to go into, some of the U.S. men's national team players abroad and their performances over the weekend, the good and the bad, even though, to be fair, it was mostly good yeah. when you look at it. And last but not least will be a little bit of a Euro League talk, European League talk. Mostly focused on the Manchester teams, right? Manchester United's mess. And there was something from Manchester City that you wanted to talk about too. What was that again?
1: Yeah, it was just a tactical wrinkle that I saw with their midfield this last week.
0: Mm -hmm. So we're going to go through the Manchester teams just to get a European squad on. But again, let's go with the main, the hot topic of the moment, which is Brendan Vasquez, right? And the USMNT center forward position, how it's going to go. Brendan Vasquez right now in MLS, if I'm not mistaken, he has 14 goals or 12 goals, 14 goals and four assists in MLS. He's having the best season of his career, uh, along with FC Cincinnati, having the best season of their MLS career as well. And then people start a call for him to be in the national team. So my first question to you is this. Well, not essentially the national team to be in the World Cup, right? Because I think him getting a chance in the national team, I'm not opposed to it and neither are you. For sure. No,
1: I wouldn't be opposed to a September call-up necessarily.
0: Now, here's my question to you. They they were talking about how he fits Greg Berhalter's system. Do you want to go through my pros and cons of why I sh- think he should or should not be? Yeah, let's start with you. So the first thing that I want to say is after watching FC Cincinnati a couple times, they play a completely different system when compared to Greg Berhalter's 4-3-3, right? Yeah. There were many people claiming he needs to be in the national team because he fits Burhalter's system and to which I say he might, right? He might fit the system, but we're not sure. He plays in a very fluid system with two strikers up top, one is him, the other is Brenner. Then he plays with Costa behind him and that's not Kelna Costa, it's a 10, the Argentine Costa that's very technical, no creative, exactly. And he fits on that fluid system they roam a lot they combine well it's not structured like the us men's national team is so he is not really not playing in a system that identifies with what greg berhalter wants so does he fit greg berhalter's system i don't know but we definitely cannot affirm now in terms of his quality what do you what do you see that works well that he could help the us men's national team right now if he were to get called up
1: yeah, uh, there are some things I really enjoyed now to, you know, disclaimer. I only watched one of his games, but I was watching very specifically for him. From what I saw, um, I like his ability to hold the ball up, right? He can play with his back to goal, hold the ball up, lay it off to teammates. Um, he can run with the ball, which not a lot of strikers can do nowadays, especially note, like of his size. And he's deceptively fast with the ball at his feet. And obviously a good finisher as well. I really enjoyed his goal. It was a nice run, weak-footed finish, well-directed into the corner. Um, there are some other things I think he's not so great at. One of them is his anticipation of the play. He's a little slow to recognize when he needs to move to start his runs and his movements into space early enough. Uh, there were some moments in the game where you know the midfield had the ball and he really wasn't moving off of it. I would just like to see him do that a little bit better, either to create space for himself, to make a run in behind, to check into the pocket, or even to drag a defender out of the way to create space for, you know, a teammate. That's a really underrated part of moving off the ball. Uh, So the other thing I didn't enjoy about him is his touch. His first touch, honestly, there were times where I was really surprised how poor it was. Um, He's almost better one-touching the ball rather than trying to control it with his first touch. Just not (laughs) often a good touch into space, setting up an attack, it seems a little labored. Um, I, I wouldn't be against him getting a call-up, but I think we have to look at the situation in context. Greg asks for a lot from his forwards, you know, maybe too much. <laughs> like, You know, we look at our nine situation. It's like, well, who is it? Who is it? It's like maybe nobody can do everything that Greg wants his number nine to do. You have to play alone pretty much as a center forward. You have to press, you have to hold up the ball. You have to score goals. You have to be good in the air. You have to be able to combine. It's almost like we don't have a forward who can do everything. And if you're playing as a lone forward, you're going to be up against two center backs most of the time. So I just, Brandon Vasquez has the benefit of Brenner and Lucho Acosta in Cincinnati, taking a lot of attention from him. And so he's able to find space more easily. I'm not convinced that he'll be able to find space playing as a lone forward with no 10, right? Nobody really creating in midfield. This has been a hallmark of Greg's, you know, teams for so long now. So I wouldn't be against him getting a call up. And there's definitely something there with this kid, but let's be honest, he's going to be 24 in a month. And this is the first time he's ever looked good anywhere. So this could also just be a hot streak, right? He's having a good season. I'd like to see him be a little more consistent over time. And as a fan base, I'd like to see us maybe not be too overreactionary to bouts of good form, particularly in MLS, which is, let's face it, a strikers league, right? Um, it is a league where strikers have the benefit because the money is spent on attackers and not really spent too much on center backs. So it's just, I, again, I don't mind him getting a call up. I have some question marks about whether he's ready and if whether or not he can contribute For example, I would rather Greg experiment with playing maybe Brendan Aronson at the nine or even Tim Weah at the nine in September, just to see if that's an option, because again, it just looks like all of his options have are able to do some of the thing he things that he asks, but then not others.
0: Yeah. Adding to that in September. So we essentially have 180 minutes of soccer left before the World Cup, the September camp where you play Japan and then Saudi Arabia. So do you want to use 45 or 90 minutes of that camp or 60 to experiment Brendan Vasquez, right now? And is that even enough? If Let's say he goes in and he plays terribly. Is that enough to cut him? I mean, that's not a fair shot. If he comes in and kills it, does that mean he is the best thing we have for the nine? I have a lot of doubts on this. I think if we were maybe a year or two away from the World Cup, I would be all on this bandwagon of call in brandon vasquez bring him in let's see what he can do give him a few shots right yeah right now september is a world it's a world cup prep camp we're gonna be less than two months away from the world cup and roughly a month away from the roster release a little bit over a month so like okay if you bring in brandon vasquez is that enough to draw any conclusions? And when, if he plays any of those two games, you will be taking minutes away from certain experiments or players that you should have tested already or players that maybe deserve another shot like PFOC that have been in camp. Uh, and you'll be taking those minutes away. So I think the, the main reason I would not want Brendan Vasquez right now is mostly because of the proximity to the World Cup. And I don't think the gap between him and... Let's say he is as good as he is right now. This is not form. This is actually his level. He is this good in MLS as he has been all season. The gap between him and Jesus, PFOC, Haji, all the players, Sargent, DK, the gap is not that big between these players. It's so close for the better, or for the worse, that it doesn't justify such a late inclusion. Maybe Greg should have brought Brendan Vasquez in June. I probably wouldn't, to be honest, because I thought it was just a hot streak but I probably was wrong back then. And maybe Greg should have brought him right now for this cycle. From what I've seen from Brandon Vasquez, I think it's too late, but post world cup, if he continues this form post world cup, yeah, you need to bring him in at one point.
1: Yeah. Can I just say, I'm frustrated that we continue to recycle a lot of mediocre options. It's sort of like you said, right? None of the strikers have really stood out and said, I'm the guy. Right? And we keep recycling these same players, and we haven't even considered the possibility that Brendan Aronson or Tim Wea could play at the nine. Let's have a quick – quick. I just want to quickly bring up Brendan Aronson here because what does Greg ask of his forwards? Like I said, he asks a lot. He asks press. them to press, right? Brendan Aronson can do that. He asks them to play with their back to goal to hold up the ball. That is 50-50. I'm not sure that's really Aronson's game. That's the one area I would have a question mark
0: Well, about. but he can do it better than Ferreira.
1: Yes, exactly. That's the thing. I have more faith in Brendan Aronson's ability to come back with his back-to-goal and combine, right, and even hold up the ball under pressure than I do any of the other forward options right now. He asked them to press. He asked them to hold up the ball. He asked them to be technical enough to combine in tight areas. And he asks them to make late runs into the box to score goals. So I would say out of the four main things that Greg asks his forwards to do, Aronson can do at least 3.5 of them. So why have we never tried that? Tim Weah can do a lot of those things too. Why have we never tried that? Instead, we just keep recycling (laughs) through these same options over and over again, and we don't really have a clear answer.
0: Yeah, I'm open to having Brendan Aronson in. I don't think his role will essentially be a false nine, like people are saying. You don't need to also, because you might have enough creativity from the central midfield. If Reina is playing there, maybe Brendan Aronson can just be a pressing nine. That's all he can be—a pressing forward, and that might be that might be the best option we have. But so that's the that's what I'm trying to say for the World Cup. I would probably rather experiment with Brendan there, waya give those minutes left to them. Maybe throw PFOC late in the game, see if he can help with some crosses and try to well, not him crossing specifically, but finishing the crosses, which is his strength. Um, rather than giving Brendan Vasquez a shot now, th- there's not many minutes left before the World Cup. To test and prepare. Uh, It's a question of how many of these minutes you'd want to use on Brendan Vasquez at this point. Personally, all I'm trying to say is we don't know if he fits Greg's system because the FC Cincinnati system is completely different. He doesn't seem to be much better than any of the options we have or much worse. Seems to be around the same level roughly. So the gap's not big. We don't know if he fits. We only have two friendly, friendly left before the World Cup. I would bring him after the World Cup to give him a shot. If he continues this form, I would not bring him to September camp. I would also not bring him to the World Cup for now.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I'm, I think I'm
0: with you on that. And also, can we add one thing? Uh, I know people are going to keep bringing up, let's play the hot hand. And I, to a certain extent, agree. But how many times have we tried to play the hot hand as a center forward? Ferreira was a hot hand at one point. Pepe was, well, Pepe kind of worked in the beginning, to be quite honest, when he was when he was burning hot in MLS. PFOC was a hot hand the entire season last year and it didn't work. So playing the hot hand hasn't really worked so well for us. So that's not, that can't be the reason why we call in Brandon Vasquez. It has to be based on the overall ability of the player, knowledge of the system, being in camp. Plus, remember, we're going to a World Cup. We need these players to have familiar, familiarity playing with each other. And all these guys know, and I'm not saying to keep certain guys in the roster, like we talked about Roldan and Ariola because they know. But there's other quality players that have been around that could get a shot in. And again, test with Brendan. So right now I wouldn't bring Brendan Vasquez, but if he keeps this form, to me, he has to be an option for the March camp. We're going to have post-World Cup, which is Nations League, right? I believe it's March, isn't it, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Any final thoughts on this nine discussion? Yeah,
1: no, I, I 100% agree with what you said. Play the hot hand is an oversimplification of whether or not a player's strengths and weaknesses fit within the framework of what you're trying to do and whether or not they have the quality to execute at a high level. Um, and so I think that's just important nuance when we talk about who's quote unquote in form.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe Brendan Vasquez is more of a player for 2023 instead of right now. We try him after the World Cup, the World Cup is a little too late. I mean, unless he was looking like one of our best players in the national team, otherwise, no. But let's move on to the next topic, right? The next topic is the U.S. men's national team players abroad. The U.S. men's national team players abroad had a fairly good weekend overall, uh, if, you, if you just generalize it, right? But one of them had a very rough weekend once again, and that is Zach Steffen from Middlesbrough now possibly also the team of Matthew Hoppy, the center forward. What are your thoughts on Stefan, man? What's going on?
1: For me, it's the same thing that's been going on with him for a while. He doesn't look confident. He doesn't look like you want your goalkeeper to be very confident and coming out for crosses. He either over, um, he either overestimates his ability to get to a ball or gets to them and then freezes in the moment. And He let in a goal to QPR specifically that was 100% his fault. Came off his line to punch the ball and completely missed it. And that's usually a result of indecisiveness, right? You come off your line, you're not confident, you haven't read the trajectory of the ball well, completely missed it, and it bounced off a QPR head and went in. And he wasn't punished for it for the week before, but he did the same thing a couple of times, flapped at crosses. It's just not good for a defense to have a goalie like that. It's not good for a team because – He, he, you know, goalkeepers need to be the safe hands behind the back line. And if the back line knows the keeper is shaky, it's gonna, it, it tends to sort of, um, go through the entire team, right? It tends to affect the team. I don't know if it's, it's gotta be a lack of confidence for me right now. Cause even when you look at his face, you can read his body language. You can tell when somebody looks nervous or shaky. And I just see that with Stefan right now. I hope he improves. It's only two games in. So it's early days, right? Only two games into the season. But it just feels a lot like the guy we saw before at Manchester City and for the national team.
0: Yeah, it's not looking good for Zach Steffen because it's not its not something that's happening. It's not happening with a frequency that any of us should be comfortable with at this point, right? Yeah. Uh, and we have other options. And if he doesn't pick it up, and, and again, let's not overreact to it, but it's not something – I know you mentioned the two games – But if you think about it, it's been more than two games, right? Because it's been pretty much the entire year last year. Every time he played for Manchester City last year, there was some type of mistake from him that led to a goal every single time. And with the U.S. men's national team, he did have some good games, but there were also mistakes. And for a goalkeeper, it can't happen. Um, We'll see. Unfortunately, Matt Turner didn't play for Arsenal somewhat as expected. Ethan Horvath played for Luton Town. I didn't really follow through with that game, but no one mentioned any noticeable mistakes. So Horvath starts to become a reliable option there too. We're talking about the nine position and how it worries us. I think the goalkeeper position is far more worrisome because we're, we can kind of survive in the world cup and go through with the nine struggling. Yeah. Can we with the goalkeeper struggling? Probably no. not. No. So, Which may make
1: the case for Matt Turner, you know,
0: yeah, he's been very reliable when it comes to shot stopping. Um, have no complaints. Obviously, there's a question mark in terms of Matt sharpness now that he's not playing, right? But yeah, play him in September. See how can okay, we can see in September what a non sharp Matt Turner looks like.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we'll see if he gets any playing time for Arsenal at all this year.
0: Mm-hmm. But besides that, most of the other Yanks abroad had. Good performances. We saw, we watched in your channel the Leeds United game. Brendan Aronson put up a very good performance. Tyler Adams, I thought he was a little bit not good in the first half or below average in the first half. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I thought he was fantastic in the second half. Even started to play for the second goal. That, in my opinion, that's Brendan Aaronson's goal. I'm still saying it's Brendan Aronson's goal. He has a goal in Premier League already. He scored a goal in the top five league before Diego Laynez, even though Diego Lynez has arrived. What, four years ago in Europe? But <laughs>
1: <laughs> If I'm coaching Tyler Adams, I would make him watch uh, the show Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> because I think when Tyler Adams puts pressure on players, he has a tendency from time to time to overcommit to a tackle and to either get beat or get turned or make an unnecessary foul. Uh, he did a little bit of that against Leeds, but for the most part, I thought he did really good at doing the job of a six, which is to close down passing lanes, put pressure on the ball, delay or force sideways or backwards or into less dangerous areas of the field. And I thought he did mostly a good job of that with a few exceptions. It's when he gets a little bit too gung-ho that he needs to just be careful. But yeah, overall, it was a very positive performance from both him and Brendan. Apparently, Brendan was the number one uh, in, in pressing actions of any player in Europe this weekend.
0: Impressive. And now he's doing it in the Premier League and it wasn't a weak opponent. It's no. no. So a very technical opponent, too. Besides that, we saw a little bit of Christian Pulisic from Chelsea. Same same stuff as last year, essentially. Right. For Pulisic Um, coming off the bench for Chelsea. Boring game for Chelsea. Um, He looked fine. He looked sharp on the ball. I like that was going at defenders, um, but limited minutes. Who else played over the weekend? I I guess we can mention Jedi Robinson and Tim Ream having a performance Mm -hmm. against Liverpool. That was good to see. 2 2 draw. Yeah. Um, Anyone Uh, else?
1: Jordan Pfock
0: scored on his debut. Obviously, and just to make it clear, anyone listening to the podcast, we're not going to go through everyone because. I pretty much already did a whole episode on that. We talked to the, about it on 11 Yanks as well at Pete's channel on the Matthew Hoppy stream. We did live streams over the weekend, so we're not going to go through every single player uh, here. But it's just a brief mentions of a couple of things that we wanted yeah. to go through. No, I was going to say, is there anything else specifically with the U.S. Men's National Team players abroad?
1: Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to both Alex Mendez, who started for Vizela mm. FC in their 1-0 win um, over Rio Ave. And even more interestingly, oh, and by the way, Alex Mendez was involved in the goal. They scored. He actually shot from outside the box, a beautiful volley that the keeper saved. And then uh, it was the rebound was tucked in. But Alejandro Alvarado at 19 years old came in, not for his debut, uh, because he debuted last season, but very early on in the season when the the game was still tied at nil-nil. So it wasn't garbage minutes. He did have a chance that actually Alex Mendez set up for him, but the keeper saved it. Um, it's just positive to see somebody that young already getting minutes at a high level. The Portuguese league is considered at least sixth best in the world right now, maybe fifth, depending on how you look at it personally. I think it's more like sixth, but that's a really positive development. Probably the under 20 player playing at the highest level right now.
0: You might be right. Uh, yeah, I was happy for Alvarado to get those minutes he got late last season. And I mean, when I had him in the channel, uh, he didn't have a contract from offered to him by the LA Galaxy. That's why he ended up in Europe. Dude, the amount of
1: players that they have lost, Alex <laughs> Mendez, Alejandro Alvarado, uh, Uli Yanez, Mauricio Cuevas, Kobe Hernandez Foster, they got to be doing something wrong there, huh?
0: Which could have been very useful in MLS, right?
1: Yeah, all mm-hmm. of them could have been useful in MLS.
0: Yeah, but that's completely off topic right now. We're not going to go dive into the Galaxy. I mean, they signed Douglas Costa as a DP, so give oh, them a break. Broad. They're already suffering enough with that. But yeah, uh, in regards to the Yanks abroad, not much more to talk about here. We're not going to do a deep dive on all of them because we're we're going to talk a lot about the Manchester teams. I think there's quite a bit to address there and, and all that. But Pete, is there a review for you to read? We do have a review, Tack. Uh, this is from
1: d n i it's like too many i I won't read your name i'll just say it says love you guys very hard to find dedicated usmnt content that is tactically solid and you guys crush it so thank you appreciate it
0: thank you uh we still yeah and guys keep dropping the reviews eventually we'll read all of them but if there's too many we won't so hopefully it gets to a point where we can't read all of them (laughs) Uh, so Going back to the podcast here, I want to thank our sponsor DraftKings Sportsbook and thank you DraftKings for sponsoring this podcast. Head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, download the app now and gamble or bet with responsibility. Use the promo code TBPN to get credit on free bets. All right. So right now, thank you DraftKings Sportsbook for sponsoring this podcast and for supporting us independent creators. Remember, if you're going to use the code TBPN, you will be supporting the Tactical Yanks podcast as well. So again, thank you to our sponsors, DraftKings Sports Books. Okay. So Pete, now we're going to go to the final section of this podcast where we talk about the European leagues. But yes. actually, it's not even fair to say European League. We're going to talk about the Manchester teams. Then.
1: Yeah, Manchester teams.
0: Before you talk about Manchester City, this is one thing I wanted to say. If you go back to 2006 or seven, when I was a teenager, and you tell me that in 2022, Manchester City is going to be running the city of Manchester. Manchester United will no longer be the kings of Manchester. And I would have said... It's BS, uh, especially when I was a teenager a United fan, Manchester was so dominant, and I think most people would have to be quite yeah. honest. But I think right now it's fair to say that Manchester City runs that city, there's no doubt in my mind, they're the best team in Manchester. Um, and again, it hates I hate to say it, but it's true, it is true. The team is far better. And over the weekend, Pep Guardiola had an interesting tactical approach mm-hmm. to accommodate Holland which worked. They got a 2-0 win away versus West Ham, mm-hmm. and you really liked it.
1: Yeah, so it's something that we have seen a little bit from Pep before, but definitely not to this level. Essentially, in possession, the two fullbacks, right, Concello, uh João Concelo, and uh, Kyle Walker, I believe it was, tucked into midfield and basically started playing as sixes, which is bizarre in some ways, because you already had Rodri there. You already had Gundogan there playing together. Gundogan more as the eight uh, further up next to Kevin De Bruyne. But it was weird because they, in the past, sometimes Pep has moved one sort of as a false fullback, moved him inside in possession a little bit into the channel. This wasn't like that. Both fullbacks were extremely central playing in front of the back line. And then ahead of them, you had, uh, uh, Sometimes it was more like a two, 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 three, one, right, with Holland up top.
0: Wait, hey, say that again. Two, two, two. two,
1: two three, one So you had the two center backs, you had the two fullbacks coming inside as sixes. And then you had Rodri and you had Gundogan. Uh, and then you had um what's his name? Kevin De Bruyne. Uh-huh. Playing uh, and then you had the the wingers, obviously, Jack Relish and um and uh, uh what's the young kid
0: Foden, Foden Foden Phil
1: Foden playing on either side of Holland um, but sometimes sometimes you would actually see those players the the the, the, the second line of two which was uh, you know the quote-unquote sixes Gundogan and Rodri push wide so basically the fullbacks coming inside and the eights pushing wide and I don't what, why do you, you have some thoughts on why you think he did that? I think he does it in order to drag players out of space. But what are your thoughts and how it affects Holland?
0: I didn't watch the game, I would have to oh, watch okay. that game fully. I didn't watch Manchester City, I watched Manchester United. I would have to watch it to see how it affects Holland. At first, when, when I saw that people were saying about the new tactical approach of, of Pep Guardiola, I thought it was to push up Kevin De Bruyne higher up the field, right? I mean, that was
1: definitely part of it for sure.
0: Yeah, so he could combine with Erlen Haaland. But essentially, I think it is just to create space. I think that's all it was. Open the channels. You get you get some space out wide, right, for the, the, the wingers. But I didn't see the game. I don't know how it affected Erlen Haaland. What I do know is he is probably adapting his tactics to playing with a center forward. And it looked like it worked. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it did work. It did work. Haaland was on fire. They had a lot of the ball. The movement and coordination of the movement was very fluid. The animation of the players on the field was amazing, to use a Patrick Vieira phrase. I think when I talk about dragging players, I think what would end up happening is when the fullbacks would come inside, it would essentially force uh, Jared Bowen and Fournals inside, and it would actually create space on the wings. And then Rodri and Gundogan sometimes would push wide and take advantage of that space on the wings, and it would confuse them because now Declan Rice would have to pull out and Suchek would have to pull out in order to follow them, and that would create little pockets of space for um, for De Bruyne to operate. So, it's again, it's very pep. It's very complex. It's very tactically, you know, a tactical chess game, but it worked. And tep, uh, pep, pep Guardiola masterclass.
0: Yeah, just uh, for context for everyone, Manchester City did struggle with West Ham last year. So Pep probably took this game somewhat personal Yeah, (laughs) against um, David Moyes, right? David Moyes is still in charge of West Ham. Did you see,
1: I don't know if you saw, but when Kurt Zuma was injured in the game, the Manchester City fans started singing, this is how your cat feels.
0: Oh, my God. Hey, yeah, he kicked his cat last year, didn't he?
1: Yeah, because he kicked his oh, cat God. last year. So he was injured and the Manchester City started singing, this is how your cat feels.
0: <laughs> that That is that is actually good bantering right there. It's brilliant.
1: But it's great banter.
0: Let's talk about the – we talked about how Manchester City runs Manchester. Now, let's talk about Manchester United because we talked about two podcasts ago. It was when we were doing a preview of all the top five leagues. And we talked about how we didn't like the transfer window that Manchester United had, but we were optimistic for the long-term with Ten Hag. Uh, Are you still feeling that way? Um, Long-term, maybe. But I think we saw that the transfer window was horrendous, right? None of the signings are going to really have an impact to change this team. But one thing caught my attention the most, and I actually tweeted this out. Moises Caicedo. Uh, mm-hmm. The box-to-box midfielder for Ecuador, he's 20 right now or 19. He's very young. Yeah. He was linked to Manchester United before going to Europe last summer. And I don't know why the deal didn't go through. And he ended up signing with Brighton for $5 million, which for Manchester United, that is nothing. They paid $60 million for Fred, right? Moises Caicedo... And I had seen him before play for Independiente del Valle. He was fantastic under Miguel Angel Ramirez that was in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And he was by far the best midfielder in that game. In Old Trafford, facing Manchester United, a player that cost $5 million. It just shows how Manchester United's scouting, management, everything is just a complete and utter mess. The team is not good. The The thing is, the team is not good. Marcus Rashford is not good. We need to cut that crap by now. I've been watching him for a while. I've been watching him since he started, since he was a kid. And he's the same level when he was 17, which at yeah. 17, it was like, wow, this is a major prospect. But the guy's what now, 25? And he's the same player, or 24, whatever his age is. Um, Jaden Sancho, what is that? Just dribbling in circles. No objectivity, nothing. Um Christian Eriksson playing as a false nine at one point. Bruno Fernandes, just like he, Bruno Fernandes, he is essentially, and NBA fans will get this reference. He's the Russell Westbrook of soccer. He literally, you know, he stuffs the stat sheet, he fills it up, but he is very ineffective and bad for his team. I know people hate to say this, hear this, but it's true. Cristiano Ronaldo comes in and does what he can. He clearly didn't want to be there. We saw that Cristiano clearly didn't want to be there. Varane was on the bench, Pete, for some reason, with Harry Maguire and Lisandro Martinez starting. Martinez is like five foot eight, which for the APL is a center back that can be. Why a is problem. Varane
1: on the bench and Maguire not only on the field but the captain?
0: I don't know, man. It beats the living crap out of me. Why is <laughs> Maguire? Why is McGuire starting for Manchester United? I don't know. And and again, we all I complained a lot about Oli, and I'd like to apologize to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, because he wasn't the problem. Now, now I can just say it because we continue to play the McFred midfield, right? McTominay and Fred. Um, Fred is not very good, but he's also not the main problem. Like I said, Moises Caicedo is far better than Fred. But for Fred to be useful, you need an amazing player next to him. Not McTominay, which is probably worse than Fred. <laughs> so Dude,
1: McTominay is not a Manchester United player. The problem that I feel with this Manchester United team is there's too many players who Sir Alex Ferguson would have said, you're not good enough for this level. They, they've they settled for terrible. Look at Luke Shaw. You know, like I, I know Luke Shaw is not playing much like now, but. He was there for so long. They're, and they keep bringing in players that are just not at the level that you need to compete in the top four in the Premier League anymore.
0: No, and if you think about it, even though Sir Alex would probably make McTomney a decent player at this point, <laughs> he always found a way. But it, it, it's just not a good team. And even when they had, for example, Aaron Wan-Bissaka didn't play this game, but he was the right back. He's also not a good right back. They kept playing him all these seasons. Wan-Bissaka can't play on the ball. He's horrible on the ball. Yeah. Um, and uh, then they make some signings like Ericsson, right? Ericsson's a good player. But when you look at him being added to this Manchester United team, what is he going to do? How is? Yeah, he I don't be- even
1: think that Ericsson is a Manchester United player right now.
0: No, he's not. And, and he's also 30, um, coming back from that scary moment in the Euros. Uh, it's just the signings were horrible. Ten Hag comes in. And I don't know. I don't know how long he'll last with everything that's happening, man. Because when you look at all these years, Manchester United has spent money. Spending money is not the problem. They've signed great coaches. Like they had Louis van Gaal. They had David Moyes. That's doing well in West Ham at one point. They had Jose Mourinho, uh, that might not be the greatest coach, but he also did fine. Ralph Ragnick. Now 10 Hag. I don't know, man. Um, I'm trying to remain optimistic. It's going to, it's probably going to, they're probably going to be okay in the season and they'll probably get like Europa league. Uh, They'll figure that part out.
1: Yeah. But that's not good enough for a global brand like Manchester United.
0: No. And it's, it's not looking good. They they kept Cristiano Ronaldo there. They forced him to stay uh, or nobody wanted him. I don't even know anymore. But they it, have to it, it creates
1: out. this toxic environment in the dressing room. If Ronaldo doesn't want to be there and he's clearly going to show his displeasure, like, A team, the balance and the chemistry of a team is such a fine thing, right? And if you upset that balance and you topple the apple cart, this team could be worse than we thought. It could be end up being mid table just because this team doesn't have the ideas or the motivation or the heart or the willingness and ability to come together and play for the club. So I I think it could get worse before it gets better if 10 hog doesn't get everybody on the same page and get them believing in the direction they're going, cause we've all been there, right? If you don't believe, even when you're playing pickup soccer, if you don't believe in your teammates and the direction, if you start getting pounded by the opposite team levels drop, you don't believe in the cohesiveness of the team. You don't believe in your ability to play together and to be an effective unit, then morale drops. And when morale drops infighting starts, there's backs you know backbiting there's players not giving 100 percent, and at that level you will get punished for that stuff so ten hog is a massive massive job to pull them out of this now
0: yeah and we'll see how that plays out uh obviously it's weird because i th- i feel like when we talked about this a week or two ago the level of optimism of Manchester united was more of the hopeful fan in me and the pessimist part of that was the transfers, which we were saying how it it looks like it's gotten worse. <laughs> also yeah. lost which I know he's not, wasn't the same, but it's still a useful player off the bench. So I don't know. We'll see how Manchester United does. Is there anything else we want to talk about here or we're going to wrap things up?
1: Uh, I just want to highlight that Gio is back. He was on the bench for Dortmund and I could not be happier.
0: Yes. And we talked about how there's many reasons to believe that he's seen as the as a central player. And there were reports and people talking out of Dortmund that he's seen as the backup for Marco Royce. Um
1: yeah, he could even start though during the alongside Marco Royce when he's healthy.
0: Exactly. So in that and he's and Royce has been playing as a 10. So we'll see how that goes with Giovanni Reyna, but it's good to see that he's already match fit to start the season and hopefully they take it slow. Um, I think it's very encouraging and he'll probably, he'll get minutes this month. That's the good thing. He'll get minutes this month and hopefully a healthy Gio Reyna is what we need for September. But Pete, should we close the podcast here? Yep. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to drop a review. We'll drop a new episode next Tuesday and hopefully you enjoy until then. See you guys.